0: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Folks, imagine being a professional comedian and you are on the TV show America's Got Talent performing in front of Simon Cowell. And when you get on that stage, all of a sudden you can't remember your jokes. Your mind goes blank. What do you do?
1: Uh, Try not to panic. <laughs>
0: right. Well, that is exactly what happened to our next guest, professional comedian Jeff Allen.
1: You guys, Jeff had some great stories, including his first time on stage when he completely bombed, dealing with hecklers, and how his family feels when he shares personal stories about them on stage.
0: And as you will hear, we were so impressed with how Jeff opened up in the second half of our conversation. He talked about the mistakes he made earlier in his life with being a bad husband and father. He was also an Atheist who did not believe in God and intentionally stayed away from Christians. That is, until we met a Christian man who had something he wanted: access to the best golf courses around. You guys, we <laughs>
1: can't wait for you to hear this conversation with comedian Jeff Allen.
0: I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery.
1: Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future followed by miscarriage and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis.
0: However, today we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us A Good Story. Okay, friends, before we get to this episode, just a friendly reminder to please hit the subscribe button on YouTube and Apple Podcast, or give us a review.
1: Five stars, please.
0: <laughs> In our world, this is super, super important because it will help with the algorithm to make it easier for people to find us. And
1: thank you for sharing our posts across your social media. That really helps with engagement and with us getting guests. Yes.
0: So, hey, if you want us to keep working our way up to talking to Chip and Joanna, yes! please share us with your friends.
1: But regardless, thank you for listening to Tell us a good story.
0: Steph? Are you ready to have fun?
1: Oh, I'm ready to laugh. I have so (laughs) many questions for him. I'm so excited.
0: Well, friends, our next guest is in his fifth decade as a professional comedian. He recently filmed his third comedy special for Dry Bar Comedy, which has now surpassed 700 million views on Facebook and YouTube. And his second book titled Are We There Yet was released on September 5th and immediately became an Amazon number one bestseller on the same day. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. Jeff Allen.
1: Ah, Jeff, hey. we're so excited.
2: It's <laughs> nice to be here. I'm bleeding to death, but that's okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's totally
1: fine. No big deal. Yeah.
2: Well, for listeners who are not
0: viewing this, Jeff came on here at the Zoom call with us and was bleeding <laughs> and is blaming it on his wife, but actually I believe it is, you cut yourself shaving. New, new razor. razor. New I'm, razor. Every time mm-hmm. I
2: put a new, I should have known better. Hopefully stop before I, you know, pass out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for saying yes to us.
1: Hey, Jeff. I have a question. Yes. 700 million views.
0: No
2: kidding. Your, that might be a, a little high. I, I, The last I heard it was at 400 and I don't know. I don't keep track of these things. So if the publicist sent it to you, it yes. may be true. I don't know.
1: What's going through your mind though. That's phenomenal. That
2: well, it's amazing to me at my age. I've been around since 1978 and it's interesting reading the comments on, on Facebook and Instagram You go, know, where did he come from? And he's old. So did he just start, you know, <laughs> a late, in, a late in life, you know, uh, I had a 20, 25 year body of work to put out there. So um, when I hired a social media guy, he says, man, you're one of the, the best clients I've had. He says, most guys, are just starting out. They they get a video that goes viral, and then they got nothing to follow it up with. But it's mm. interesting because some of the videos are twenty years old, and I have a full head of hair. And, uh, <laughs> and you read the comments. Oh, he's old now. This isn't him. He's old. He's bald. You know, they're, they're brutal. I had one guy say I was Tim Allen's father. I go, that's, that's not kind. You know, so I look that. First of all, he's three years older than me. But do I look that much older than him? You know, I don't know. Well.
0: You're probably the busiest you've ever been
2: with yes. everything going on right now. It's yeah, amazing. it's interesting. We have. A, I, I told my manager when when things clicked. I said Tammy will determine. My wife will determine the number of dates I take, based on the, the book we just wrote. Uh, you know, we had some issues. I was I was in an IRS audit, and he says, "How many days are you on the road?" I said, "I don't know. It's on the sheet." And I looked, it was 228 days. Oh my gosh. It just is a balancing act between how much I am gone and um, how much she misses, you know. And I've often said that God gave me the right woman, you know. Not many wives could live the life we've lived as far as the travel and not being home. So
0: so as a comedian, does your wife think you're funny? Because as a normal guy, my wife does not think I'm funny at all.
1: Oh, he's not funny. That's, there's a reason. He's just not funny, Well, Jeff. it's
2: funny to me. Because I I fell in love with her laugh. I opened the book with, uh, I proposed to her. Uh, I met her at a comedy club and she was a waitress. And I I fell in love with her laugh before I I even met her, saw her. I just, uh, 37 years ago, she was a smoker and smokers have the best laughs to comic. You know, when you cannot get oxygen into your lungs, that's music to a comic, you know, and uh, the gagging, gasping, wheezing that annoys the rest of the population is is a joyful symphony of noise to a comic. So I'm on stage and I hear the, you know, and I'm like, that's a woman. I got to meet her. So I think she thought I was funny. And then uh, after being married to me for a while, you know, she wasn't laughing a whole lot. And then now I think, yeah, I think I make her laugh. She makes me laugh probably more than I make her laugh.
1: Is it hard for her or your sons to hear jokes about them on stage or like their yes. personal life? Does it bother them or they're like, Dad, please don't say
2: this. Don't joke about yeah, this, Yeah, don't say Dad. this. Not, or... uh, not at all. Um, it was interesting. They would fight about who the story was about. They would argue. <laughs> really? It like, was about you. No, that was about you. That was, you did that. Like, and, and, you know, like the camping store I did years ago, my son went to camp. And Tammy packed them with seven pair of underwear, all folded up. And he came home a week later with six folded clean pair of underwear. <laughs> I go, you didn't change your underwear for a week. He goes, well, no, we swam every day. And I go, I can't imagine how much chlorine you need with 32 adolescent boys to, to, to keep that. It was like a salmonella pool or such. I don't know. But uh, they argued. He goes, that was about you. He goes, Aaron said, I never went to camp. And Ryan goes, well, that one was about me. So... So
0: Jeff, what was your first time on stage like? Awful. Did you bomb? Oh,
2: awful. I uh, my brother was a musician and he was doing okay. a show he was doing a show in Chicago. I was 16 and some comics opened for him. And I thought, gosh, I would love to do that. But how do you do that? I mean, it wasn't like today where they have, you know, schools and stuff you can go to. And it's not like high school had a table set up for stand-up comics for career day, you know. So I just put it in the back of my mind if it ever comes across so six years later i was working at a jewelry company in chicago and after they're setting up the show some guys go we're going to go to the comedy cottage and i said what's that that's where comedians get up and you know i was like whoa wow where's this so i was i hung out there for three months before i worked the courage up to try i was there every night for three months hanging at the bar and meeting the guys and Anyway, open mic night, Thanksgiving night, 1978, I go up on stage. Everybody comes out because they know me, and now they've, they've been waiting for me. They knew I wanted to do it. And I drew a blank. I, I didn't prepare. I didn't know you prepared stuff. I didn't prepare a thing. I just thought comics went up and talked about their day. And I had done some magic, so I tried to do a magic trick. My hands were shaking. I dropped everything. I mean, it was awful. <laughs> I went home. I had tears. I cried. I was humiliated. And uh, oh. two nights later I was back Sunday night for an open mic night, and the MC came over to me and said, You're gonna have to make some sense tonight. you said <laughs> Sunday. We're still trying to figure out what you said Thursday night. You know? So, <laughs>
0: so yeah. what was the first joke then that killed? Do you remember?
2: I'll tell you the first joke I got a laugh with. I had a, a 68 VW bug and I had to park it on a hill because I couldn't afford to change the start, get a starter for it. So I had to park it on a hill run it down the hill, hop in, pop the clutch and go. So one night it broke down about a mile from the club and uh, I ran the last mile to make my set. I walk in, I'm sweating, I'm angry. I hit the stage and I just start spewing about this VW bug. I go, anybody own one of these? I bought three because I couldn't believe what pieces of garbage the first two I got were. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, if you're lucky enough to get the heater working, it'll burn every hair right off of your ankle. It's like driving around with a flamethrower on the floorboard. The you know, stiff frost system is your breath in a rag. You know, I, I just was tearing a horn. E-e-e-e-e-e. you know. People are like looking around. What, you know? Anyway, I realized at some point they're laughing. Holy cow, I'm getting laughs on truth and on angst. And that's when it hit me that comedy was truth and angst. And people, if they can relate to your truth, and your angst, they'll laugh about it because we laugh at pain in America. I mean, it's tragedy plus time is the definition mm-hmm. of comedy.
1: Is your comedy, are you interacting more with the crowd or you have a standard set that you do?
2: I do a standard set. I, uh, years ago, uh, more than one occasion, I almost got beat up, you know, by people. And really? I realized, you know, I don't know if it was my attitude or just. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think, uh, you know, I do an hour and a half pretty much every night. So, I could take 10 minutes in there and just start talking to the crowd.
0: Yeah. Then do you have a good heckler story, Jeff? Oh, my
2: gosh. Yeah, I had a guy. It was um his girlfriend, or his wife or girlfriend was sitting in front of him. And she's laughing. He's glaring at me the whole show, arms crossed, glaring at me. So he goes to the bathroom, and he comes back, and I said, boy, I sure hope you peed that attitude out of yourself. <laughs> and he gives me the finger,
0: and he oh. points
2: at me. So then, of course – I go, what's it like going out with a time bomb? This guy must be a joy to, oh, to be oh, with. No. Oh, he was just livid. And he waited around in the parking lot for 45 minutes, pacing like a caged cat. I told the club owner, I'm not going out there. He's a heck of a lot more motivated than I am. I'm not going to roll in the parking lot with some idiot. So anyway, that's that was the last time, really.
1: Okay. When you travel, when you meet comedy store managers, are they expecting you to be funny like right off the bat? All the time. Or are you more like relaxed until you get on stage?
2: Oh, I relax till I get on. But it's interesting. I played golf with guys like for almost two years before they knew I did comedy. Really? Yeah. Again, it's so funny. Women, they say a woman can play golf with somebody she doesn't know. And by the end of the round, they're lifelong friends. They know everything about each other. And I golfed with a guy for almost five years, and then we were getting together for dinner with the wives. And Tammy says, what's his wife's name? I go, you know, I don't know. I never asked. And she says, do they know my name? I said, the whole world knows your name, baby. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I didn't even bother to ask. You know, I finally when I got to dinner. I go, by the way, you know, country, what's your wife's name? But uh, anyway, finally, somebody said, by the way, what do you do? It's like, after two years, I go, I'm a stand-up comic. And they were shocked. They were like, what? You? <laughs> <laughs> You're not that funny. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, Jeff, I was thinking about you, right? Like, as a comedian, after shows, do people come up to you and try to tell you, Their joke, or ask you like, "Hey, am I funny? What do you think?" Does that happen at all? Well,
2: they don't. They don't try to ask me if if I think they're funny, but they do tell me. It's usually the husband and the wife backs up and starts rolling her eyes. (laughs) And um, yeah, and uh, every now and then someone will give me uh, a a version of a stand-up bit uh, that's not a joke. Joke that I think you know I could use. I I got a line from a woman one night that I used. And I said, "Is that yours?" She goes, "Yeah." I said, "Can I have it?" She says, "Oh, sure." It was a very funny line about uh, kale chips. She said, "Cook them in coconut oil. They slide into the trash so much easier." <laughs> 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 so anyway, like, that's like one time out of five decades but- of career. Mm-hmm. Uh-
0: all right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time?
1: Uh, obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Nailed it.
0: Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where.
1: But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas.
0: Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want.
1: And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.
0: All right, Jeff. So for all of our guests, I like to give a list of fun facts to let listeners know what you've done, what you've accomplished, and my wife as well. So Steph is not aware of any of these, Jeff. So you're going to see her genuine reaction to these, and this is going to kind of start some good stories as well. So I'm going to brag on you here for a minute, but if I miss any of these, if I'm not accurate, please let me know. Okay. All right, Steph, here we go. Fun fact number one, Jeff has appeared everywhere on Comedy Central. Showtime, TBN, CBN, Dry Bar Comedy, where he's their most viewed comedian, America's Got Talent, HBO, Amazon Prime, Huckabee, Pure Flix, VH1, The Grand Old Opry. What? So, I could go on, but I'll stop here.
2: America's Got Talent. I'm going to tell you the story about America's Got Talent. Please, please. I I went in to do the audition. Uh, First of all, I was supposed to do it before COVID. And COVID, COVID hit. On Saturday, Monday, we were flying to L.A., Tammy and I, to tape the audition. And they call on Saturday and say they're pulling the plug. They're not doing any more live tapings because of COVID. So I thought, well, it's over. You know, I mean, at my age, and, you know, I was lucky enough to get, you know, asked. And then the following year, my manager calls me in January and says, they got a spot for you in March if you want to do it. I said, sure. Now, I should tell you all – Preface it all. I have always had a hard time with auditions. Always. My, I have okay. a hard time with script. My, my memory. Mm. I'll, and again, if you're doing something by memori- memorizing it and you get to a point where you can't remember a word, it may take three seconds to get the word. But by then your rhythm's off. Then my panic button hits because I'm out of, I'm out of rhythm.
0: Happens okay. a lot.
2: I mean, when I did Letterman auditions and I did Tonight Show auditions. I, and plus I tell stories, which are long and they want you to hit quick in 2 minutes or in AGT was 90 seconds. So in 90 seconds oh, geez. They, they want you to hit three different topics or four different topics and I'd rather just do one story for 90 seconds with three mm-hmm. or four punchlines in it, you know, but they don't want that. So they they edited a set for me out of my material. They just took okay. what they liked. we sent them hours and they picked this particular 90 seconds and I rehearsed it. I did, you know, I was ready. So anyway i get up there and i start and i do line one line two line three is gone i can't remember the third line oh no yeah but it's taping so i stop and i say to simon cowell i said i just had a brain freeze can i and he says absolutely don't worry about it it happens a lot more than you think so just get your thoughts let's start over so anyway i start line one line two three i can't remember it can't remember my third line so now i'm panicking Mm -hmm. And I'm standing there. And then Simon Cowell says, would water help you? I mean, and I'm thinking anything that'll buy me some time. So uh, Cruz, Terry Cruz coming across the stage. Nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. So anyway, he's walking across with a bottle of water. And I'm thinking, what is that stupid line? Stupid. I can't remember it. And then I take a sip of water and the line comes to me. Finally, I got it. So I do my 90 seconds. They give me all four yeses. They go, yes, yes, yes. Now I'm jacked. I mean, I am. Jacked, we're high fiving me and Terry, and, and he's hugging me. <laughs> you did it, you did it, man. You did it. How, how cool is that? A lot of guys freeze like you did, but you hung in there, man. You finished it, man. How cool is that? You got the four yeses. How does it feel? I said, It feels great. Now, some producer comes over and says, Will you call Tammy on FaceTime? Uh, we want to film her reaction. And I look at my watch and go, It's 7 30 in Nashville, she's asleep. <laughs> she goes to bed in the, in, the, in the spring it gets dark at 5 5 30 she puts the chickens to bed so sure enough i call home it's pitch black she picks what is it and i go i got a baby i got him. four yeses you know she goes for real i go for real she goes oh my god you know and we're like and then she starts crying she says we waited so long for this and then Aww. i react to her and i start crying And the whole time, there's a camera from NBC over my shoulder. And I'm thinking, my friends are going to be merciless with this. They're (laughs) not going to let me forget this. You know, I got a three-foot putt. They're going to go, you want to take a break? We know you've you've never done this before either. (laughs) You know, made a (laughs) three-footer. So anyway, they tell me when I'm signing the release papers that they're just going to the live. So they're cutting 100 acts down to 32. And I immediately figured I'm not going to get it. I mean, I froze twice. You know, and there were some other things that we, you know, we could talk about. But anyway, um, they called a couple months later and said, uh, the judges passed on your audition. And in hindsight, you know, after the book come out and um, and stuff, uh, we probably thought it was a better that it didn't because okay. of the, the culture, the way it is. There's some things in the book that um, um, if they wanted to, they could go after me about mm-hmm. some okay. not flattering so- things about me as a husband and a father.
0: Which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. We will get to that. So, Grand Ole Opry, what is it like to perform there, Jeff? That's someplace we would love to go somewhere. Wow. I mean, someday, but what was that like?
2: Well, it was amazing. I, I'll go back. When we moved to Nashville, um, one of my friends used to manage an artist named Michael W. Smith. Yes. And um, Amy Grant. He became a good friend of mine. So, he was handling uh, Gary Chapman, a singer, uh, who was doing a, a weekly show or a monthly show at the Ryman Auditorium. So, anyway, I'm backstage. I just moved to Nashville, and my buddy comes over. He goes, hey, you want to do five minutes at the Ryman? And uh, just, I walked off. Tammy was in tears. I mean, she was just like, holy cow. You know who's been on that stage? Elvis has been on that stage. Uh, Johnny Cash. I mean, name an artist at the Ryman. I mean, that used to be the old, the original Grand Old Opry. So that was like, it's my dream. I think next year we're trying to book the Ryman uh, for a okay. show for me. I, uh, I'm going to risk Trying to sell out the Ryman mm. uh, next year if we can get in. It's a very busy venue. But oh, sure. Uh, the first time at the Opry, knowing the history, I grew up in a small town uh, south side of Chicago, and um, there were big country music town. I used to say they worship Johnny Cash at some of the churches in our town. You know? <laughs> so you know they used to listen to the Grand Old Opry on Saturdays. So to get there was uh, was a big thing. So how long? In a set, Jeff. Until you
0: know this is a good audience or this is a bad audience, I gotta really work here to try to turn them around. How like how far into it do you know? Two minutes, really.
2: Well, now it's a, I'm in a different place in my career now. Um, I the audiences they're familiar with me. They're usually fans. They they kind okay. they know what they're getting. They specifically came. I mean, I've had people drive three, four, five hours to come see a show. So it's uh it's heartwarming, but it's a different vibe altogether than what i i did the first 40 years of my career uh where i had to earn them i had to gain the respect you know corporate corporate's still hard okay. um, you know you're walking out cold but you know within you you deliver a couple lines and you know if they're on okay. on the same wavelength you are as with satire and you know i used to do a joke open my show i said uh I would tell about myself. I know you don't know who I am, so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm I'm sixty-seven years old. I'm married for thirty-seven years. Got two grown boys, four grandchildren. Some things more personal. I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. Thirty years ago we filed bankruptcy, lost everything. And then twenty seven years ago, my wife said if things don't improve in our marriage, she's gonna file for divorce. And I tell you this because I draw my comedy from my life experience, and that's a few of the highlights we'll cover tonight: alcoholism, bankruptcy, and divorce. So strap on your fun hats, folks. Mister (laughs) Sunshine here to cheer you up. And if they laughed at that, then I knew we were good. Then we were good Uh because they got they got the joke.
0: Steph, what is one of the most asked questions we get about? Tell us a good story.
1: Uh, Do I really get that excited?
0: (laughs) Besides that one.
1: Oh. How do we get all these incredible guests?
0: Correct. And some of our best conversations have been with guests who our listeners have reached out to us and said, you should talk to this person. To name just a few, Nick Vujicic, Coach Tom Ryan, Carol Moutica were all recommendations from our listeners.
1: So if there's someone you would like us to interview and think they might be a great fit for Tell Us A Good Story, please let us know at com. You don't even have to personally know them.
0: True, but do me a favor. Before you submit their names, please make sure they are still alive. (laughs) That has actually happened, and it is super hard for me to find their contact information.
1: But regardless, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.
0: So, Jeff stuff is regarded as one of the premier clean comedians working today.
1: And I love that, by the way. I love that you're so clean. God bless you for that.
0: Most of his humor centers on marriage and living with kids, which pretty much everyone can relate to. Yes. So, Jeff, being labeled as a clean comic is that like having a scarlet letter in the comedy world or mm. do people even care? Like if you're funny, you're funny. Like, how does that
2: work? Well, we don't, I don't think we promote it for years. We, ne- we never promoted it as a clean show. We just promoted it as very funny. It's a funny show. Mm-hmm. And it's funny doing corporate. I'll have people come over and go, Holy cow, you didn't swear once. That's amazing. I mean, I was, you know, and, and I go, yeah, my wife would punch me if I, uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, <gasps> Was that a conscious effort to come out as a clean comic, or were you, you know, not clean at the beginning and then decided to switch roles?
2: Well, I write about this in our book. Our fourth grade son, we got called to school because he cussed at his teacher. So, you know, we're sitting as parents across. She couldn't even repeat what he said. She was embarrassed to say it. And I said, I'd love to look you in the eye and tell you I have no idea where that child heard that kind of language. <laughs> So anyway, driving home, we kind of had a conversation. He said, it's it's not really attractive when your fourth mm. grade son repeats. So we decided to make an effort and lead by example. And then mm. I wondered if I could clean up my show. I'm a storyteller. And it really made me a better storyteller to get a thesaurus out. My material was kind of what I'm doing now. It was just laced with profanity. Mm-hmm. And then I read a quote. Uh, I think it was Eugene Debs said that profanity gives people permission not to hear what you have to say. And I really think about a year and a half later, I committed my life to Christ and um, I'm sorry, the ball squeaking. Did you hear that? We did. She just loves balls and uh, <laughs> she wants to know why you don't want to talk to her.
0: <laughs> okay. Next fun fact. All right. Jeff has performed for a lot of corporate events. Like you just mentioned. Such as Sam's Club, Chick Fil A. He's also performed for our troop staff on mm. aircraft carriers and ships in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. So, Jeff, what was that experience like then, performing for the troops?
2: Well, it was the best and the worst. Um, uh, I got my son to come with me to Bahrain. Okay, we flew across the uh, the world, and um, he was in high school at the time. So, to travel with my son and do and land on an <laughs> aircraft carrier. The downside was it was a warship. We had just invaded Afghanistan, so the ship was sending night ops out to Afghanistan for bombing missions. Whoever put me on that ship did probably lost their job. They were not happy that a civilian, two civilians, were on a warship. They they were not happy mm. about it. And it was hard, difficult shows. I mean, they they put a microphone in the cafeteria and just said, "Start doing your comedy." I mean, they're <laughs> you know they're, wow. they're in line getting food. So my son said to me that for after the first show, he goes, I've never seen you bomb like this. And I go, well, I'll get used to it because I have a feeling it's going to be like this all week, but we did get helicoptered off to a cruiser ship and they never get entertainment ever. So I was treated like a King. The captain of the ship gave me his quarters for the night. And, uh, we, we worked the, the cafeteria for there, but they were all seated facing the stage and just great audience. Just, um, really appreciative uh and then we did a show at a secret base and it was the air force and uh, i told my son you need to join the air force they had air conditioning wood floors they had chefs <laughs> they had chefs they got wow they, even the navy told them to join the air force they got all the money and all the <laughs> toys so and then my son joined the army probably a year and a half later so did he, he
1: really yeah
2: he'd served six years with the 101st airborne and we're proud of his service Good Oh, God
1: bless him. Do you think your tour had anything to do with that?
2: Yeah, he wanted to quit school after 9-11. He came to us and said, I'm, I'm joining the Army. I said, you're finishing school. And then, believe me, the war's not going anywhere. And, um, yeah, he signed up right away.
0: All right, Steph, final fun fact. Jeff's second book.
2: Hey, I, I, Tammy just reminded me of, um, I opened for James Brown. Really? At the Ryman, did the set, you know, get off. James Brown hits the stage. Never saw him perform before. The most awesome 20 minute opening I've ever heard. Had a complete brass section. He's 72, and he's dancing, sweat flying, and he's, ha, 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 you know, singing. <laughs> and I mean, the play, it was church. Everybody was on their feet. It's the Ryman. They're stomping, they're stomping, they're cheering. And at 20 minutes, he says, you know, whatever he said, he can't understand a word he said, (laughs) and then he leaves. And some kid comes out and does a torn and restored newspaper trick. I mean, you talk about letting the air out of a room. Right. It was the most surreal thing. And we're all looking at each other. I mean, you could see the back load behind the paper. He's tearing and he's doing, I mean, it was just totally out of place. (laughs) <laughs> you know. So my manager says to me he goes it's a good thing you gave up the magic cuz it really doesn't play well. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, how would you follow that?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, nothing could follow that. No, at that mean, level of energy. You know, yeah. I mean it was just I mean what? I mean it it stunned the crowd. Nobody was even heckling them. They were just stunned.
0: <laughs> All right, Steph. Final fun fact. Mm-hmm. Jeff's second book titled Are We yeah. There Yet? shot to number one on Amazon's bestseller list the day it was released mm-hmm. on September 5th. So Jeff, can you tell us more about this book? Because I love how open and honest you are, what you went through, right? To just even save your marriage. So can you tell us more about this book?
2: Well, the book opens, You know, I, I, I proposed for at the Cleveland Airport baggage claim because I wanted the reader to fall in love with my romantic side. <laughs> you know, I was on a red eye. And uh, decided I wanted to ask her to marry me. I had no ring, no plan. I asked her, I said, you know, I love you. I love you. She had a two-year-old, Aaron. Uh, I adopted him. But anyway, um, I said, you want to get married? And she, pardon me? I said, you want to get married? You and I. So she knew who I was talking about. And uh, she thought about it. And this is a direct quote. Yeah, I guess if that's what you want. You know, and uh, we were engaged. That was it. Believe me, I, if I could do it again, it would be completely different. So anyway, we left and got married. We, uh, we didn't know each other. We met in November. I asked her to marry me in April, and she got pregnant in May. We got married in July, and I went from single and traveling 50 weeks a year to married and two kids inside a year, drinking, drugging. Uh, in in Bo- We moved to Boston, and about a year into that, I share this in the book. This is one of the things we we talked about, about AGT because my father asked me what got me sober. What was the catalyst Um, for alcoholics to quit drinking? Something profound has to happen. Usually. I mean, if life is good, you're not going to quit drinking. So I spanked my six month old in the crib and, um, Tammy came in the room and took him away from me, looked at me and said, who does this? Mm -hmm. And took him in the room and sat on the end of the bed and fed him. And, um, the shame that washed over me was just overwhelming. And the next day she took me to AA and they said, pray. I said, to what? Certainly wouldn't believe in God. They said, we'll find something to pray to. I wanted to stay sober that night with my son scared me. I mean, scared me. Okay. What I was capable of. So I wanted to stay sober. I did what I was told. I prayed two particular prayers, the serenity prayer, grant me the serenity God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And then the third step prayer, that's what they call it in the blue book. God, remove me from the bondage of self so that I may better better do thy will, take away my difficulties so that victory over them, others may bear witness to thy strength, thy power, and thy way of life. And I pray those prayers every day, multiple times a day. I mean, I was hanging on, you know, like most new recovery people. You were an atheist at that time. I was, correct? I was an atheist. And then, you know, again, the title, are we there yet comes from, uh, again, you know, if you picture the image of a child in the backseat of a car, you're on a journey with your parents, they're driving. They, they have an idea of where the destination is, but you have no clue. And you're just constantly asking through the impatience of a child. And that to me was recovery. And that's what I, we share in the book. You know, are we there yet? It's just, am I there? I kept asking therapists. I kept asking sponsors in the program, you know, when am I done? When am I done with recovery? When am I recovered? You know, they kept talking about a layer of an onion, you're peeling an onion back, you know, and all of this. And I go, well, I must have a huge onion because it's just constant, you know? And I think I'd make some progress and then I'd break and smash things and feel like I'm back at square one. And um, the first half of the book is what we went through as a couple. We moved every two years. They're called Geographical Cures uh you know most people whose marriages are in trouble they, they think if we just it we just change locations and it would be better for a little while you got a new place you got new people but then the same old problems come back and then we'd move again it was about every two years we moved from boston to new jersey twice in new jersey and then we moved to arizona so we had three moves in six years in our marriage and then uh it's no coincidence you know we fixed our marriage christ captured our heart our home and We've been in the same house now for 27 years.
1: I want to know what brought you from atheism? Like what was that pivotal moment?
2: Well, they started with the prey to what they called it a higher mm-hmm. power. And I just said, if I'm making up a deity, that makes me delusional. So I started looking and I went to a therapist after an event. You know, I, I did some things like Uh, yelled and screamed at my wife and she sobs and I put my son to bed. He goes, daddy, you win. I go, what do you mean? I win. He goes, you yell, mommy cries, you win. Not one of my prouder moments. So I went downstairs and told Tammy, I said, I'm going to get help. I said, I don't want to be this way. I got to change, you know? So I went to a therapist and she put books in my hands. I started reading Mm self-help and then I eventually wound up on new age, spiritualism, Buddhism, I discounted it as, okay, that's not working. That's not true. That's not. And after seven years, uh, God put a man in my life. That was a Bible believing Christian, but he had something I wanted and it wasn't the Bible and it wasn't Christ. It was golf. He was a wealthy businessman who could get me on nice golf courses. So Mm -hmm. I've always said, God knows your heart. (laughs) So, so he, he, if he had put a pastor in my path, I would have just discounted him and said, yeah, you know, my father told me to stay away from Christians. And uh, I did. I just, for whatever reason, I had a, a special place in my heart and uh, animus towards Christians. So I didn't want to talk to him or hear from him. So we're on a golf course. I think I'm reading Ayn Rand now. I said, how do you accumulate wealth? Because I was broke. We were losing our house. We were bankrupt. And uh, I figured, okay, if it's money then I'll make money. I mean, I'm going to be a capitalist or whatever. I I need to make some money. So here's this wealthy businessman. He knows how to make money. And he says, you don't want a lot of money. I go, I don't. He goes, you can't handle what little you have. It would be a burden to you. Besides, you can't even begin to enjoy the creation. So you have a relationship with the one who created it. And I thought, wow, that sounds neat. Would you read that? He goes, the relationship is uh, Jesus. It's in the Bible. And I went, oh, Okay. A couple of holes went by. He said something else. I said, That's great. Where'd you read it? He goes, it's in the Bible. I said, Stop it with the Bible. And he goes, What do you mean? I go, Well, who actually reads the Bible today? I mean, you know, I don't believe in God, let alone God's divine word. That's a little archaic. And he says, Well, back up, what's in the Bible you don't think is true? And I said, Well, I'm an atheist. I don't really believe in God. And he said, uh, I've never I said I never read the Bible. He goes, Then you're not really an atheist, you're a moron. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny now, but it's like, you know. And he went on to explain to me, you know, it's the most influential book in the history of the world. Western civilization is certainly the moral foundation of our civilization is built on that book. And you can't even crack it open. I mean, it's lazy mm-hmm. and moronic. So at least open it, study it, and then come to some conclusion that you don't believe it. But for gosh sakes, to ignore it is foolish. So he signed me up for some Bible tapes from a church in Texas, uh, Tom Nelson's church, Denton Bible. And I collected them for about a year, maybe over a year, never opened one up. And we had a really good friendship, mostly around golf, politics, and what guys talk about. And yeah. he ended every conversation with, uh, how are you and Tammy? We pray for your marriage. And I'd go, why? He goes, well, we, we'd like to see it succeed. Why? Well, we believe marriages are important to the health of a country. And um, we just want to see you guys make it. I said, all right, knock yourself out. I don't care. You know, it didn't mean anything to me. And then eventually uh, we were filled out divorce papers. We were 10 minutes from the courthouse to file those papers. We had them notarized and Tammy has me pull over and she says, this is wrong, let's go home. And I looked at her and said, you're out. She says, what do you mean? I go, you deserve better than me. I loved her, I did. I just felt I was damaged goods. My brother was like me, my father was like me. I just couldn't stop. Eventually I smashed things. And I looked at her, I said, I love you, Tim. I really love you, Tim. But you, again, you gave me seven, at this point, seven years. Uh, but I told her straight up, nobody will love those boys as much as I do. But that's what broke my heart more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. I would think about, you know, again, as a husband and wife, you know this. You, you lay in bed, certainly in the early years, when the kids hit a certain age, hey, we can travel together, just you know, we can go out by ourselves, and do this and do that what we were going to do and all these little plans that you make and you're laying there. on you know, in a hotel by myself and, and it's just gone. It's gone. The thought of her not being part of my life would just break my heart. Hmm. And uh, she said, no, let's go home. And I said, if we go home, divorce is off the table. When we got married, we didn't know each other. You've had seven years to get to know me and you know what you're getting when we go home. And I said, I, I'm trying. And again, in the book, you know, are we there yet? I'm not there. And um, anyway, we go home, and six months, I think, she she just grabs the kids. At this point in my life, I'm having a career crisis. I don't want to do comedy anymore. I don't. I have no skill outside of comedy. I mean, I really can't do anything. So um, she grabs the kids and says, I'm going to Ohio for the summer to my parents' house. Figure out what you want to do with your adult life. If you don't want to do comedy, you got to do something. We're losing the house. We're losing everything. She gathers up all these Bible tapes that have been coming for about a year now, and she says, you're going to listen to these things and throw them out. I said, put them on the floor, I'll listen to them. And uh, again, in God's time. Mm-hmm. So one day I'm walking by, nobody's home, I'm lonely. Anyway, I see the tapes and I open one up, and it was Ecclesiastes 1 1. It was uh, meaningless, meaningless. All in life was meaningless. And I said, yes, that was my conclusions after a seven year search. There's nothing of this earth that, that's lasting, it doesn't last. And to hear it come from a pastor, and out of the Bible, and I thought that was such a deep, profound truth to me. I don't know if there's another chapter in the Bible that would have spoke to me at that moment in my life like that. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And realize, you're you're right. I, I bought all the stuff, I got all the stuff, and it just goes to the landfill. That's it. His conclusions at the end of the tape were life without God will have no meaning. Without meaning, there's no purpose. Without purpose, suicide. And I said, yes. And I ripped open every envelope looking for more ecclesiastic tapes. And then it got to, uh, I think, one of the sermons, the pastor's conclusion. He said, this is what he's saying. If happiness was an act of human will, we'd all be happy. Solomon says it's not a human will. Something outside of us comes inside of us. And then it works its way out into the form of service. We're wired for worship and service, two things. You know, you want to be loved, you have to be loving. And you have to figure out what that looks like. Well, the Bible's very clear. Uh, in Ephesians what a husband's role is and I just soaked that book in just she was gone I had no work and I listened to just about a year year and a half's worth of tapes in two or three months and then I was in uh, Texas in August I started in June so August I was at my friend's house and uh, we went to church went to Tommy's church and uh, he's when we went back to Phil's house he said when I met you God put it on my heart you were looking for something have you found it? And then all I can think to say was if Jesus is not who he said he was, then Solomon was right. I'm a dead man. And um, that was 27 years ago, I guess now. Wow. It was like overnight. You know, it's almost as if Jesus said, you know, I've, I've always been there just waiting mm-hmm. for you. And I had to exhaust all these other things.
0: So looking back at all the stuff that you wrote, was it hard for your wife to read this book? and kind of yeah. relive it, and, and you to write it. How hard was that to do?
2: Well, in the last draft I gave to her, I said, you need to read this and be okay with my version of what we went through. And she read the first two chapters and came to me and said, I can't read anymore. We were horrible people. Mm. And I said, no, that's the beauty if you stick with it. You know, my friend Andy Andrews wrote the foreword, and he caught it. He captured. I called him up. I said, you captured it. You're going to meet two couples in this book. Are we there yet? You're gonna meet who we were when we got married. And then you're gonna meet who we were after Christ captured our heart and home. And they're two completely different people.
0: Well, listeners, for more information about Jeff, you can go to his website, jeffallencomedy.com. Also on social media, Instagram, he's J Allen Comedy. And on Facebook, he's at Jeff Allen Comedy. So please go to his website and get his new book, Are We There Yet? My Journey from a Messed Up to Meaningful Life. And if you order it from his website, he'll sign it for you at no additional charge. Oh, that's awesome. Which is fantastic. And he is currently on tour his tour is titled are we there yet which actually steph comes through columbus oh in january oh. so jeff we're in columbus ohio so we obviously we will need
2: to get ticket stuff to that when he's Very here in
1: fun. i love that
2: yeah i used to i usually do the funny bone once a year there i don't know if that if that's the venue or not if we're doing a church in columbus
0: it is it's the mm-hmm. funny bone
2: it oh is okay bone. great yeah it's one of my favorite venues
0: well jeff thank you so much for for writing this book, yes, right. I appreciate so you open, being open and honest, and because that's going to be incredibly helpful to a lot of marriages. So, thank you for doing that, and thank you for saying yes to us.
2: Oh, you're welcome, man. I had a blast.
1: Thanks, Jeff. St- did
2: I stop bleeding? I'm done bleeding. You're done
1: right? bleeding. It's all done. Yeah,
2: I'm healed.